John, Gospel of John, we're going to be in chapter 3, verse 1 through 21, 1 through 21. You know, when you think about our current generations and, and the people that are alive today versus uh, the people that have lived in the past, um, you know, we definitely say from time to time, you know, the greatest generation fought World War II and that, that you know, this generation wouldn't be able to hold a candle to that. And, you know, there are some things that, that may be true, but it's hard to, to measure. You know, are, you know were, were the people in the last generation tougher? Well, probably, but, you know, how, how do you know? Did they work harder? Absolutely. But, you know, we have a lot of conveniences. So there's some things that might be a little bit more subjective, but one thing I think is pretty objective would be attention span. Uh, attention span has changed. You know, just think about um, before radio and television, to be entertained, people typically would have to read a book. Um, if you go into a classroom of, you know, kids, 10th graders, 11th graders, and you tell them, hey guys, guess what? We're going to read a book. There won't be a happy child in that room because, you know, you don't read a book in a minute. You don't read a book even in a 30-minute segment with commercial breaks it takes some time, it takes some dedication, it takes some attention, and, and that's something that, that I think has gone uh, by the wayside. You, you, you can see it in, in, in conversations. If there's a 10-20 you know, second delay, people pull out their phones and they start scrolling because that mind is just, it, it can't take that downtime. It certainly can't pay attention for that long. Well, there are times where we need to pay attention. There are times when we need to spend some time looking and thinking and, and, and listening and reasoning. And Nicodemus knew that he wanted to have a conversation with Jesus. And he knew that that conversation might take some time. And so today as we study this most famous passage of Scripture, we're going to see that Nicodemus chose to come at night. Now, this nighttime visit is something that most of us will know about. All of us will know about that famous verse 16 that Jesus said, that one statement about the gospel. But we're going to look at Nicodemus. We're going to look at the context around what he says. We're going to look at who Nicodemus was, what his mindset would have been, and why he knew that this was probably going to be a long conversation. And ultimately, through all of that, hopefully we're going to see the secret of understanding God's work here on this earth. That's the hope. That's the plan. Um, for attention span, those of you in the first row, you probably notice I'm wearing a vest, right? Well, when this vest was set up and the tightness that it was, I was less, well, I was less. And so if I take a deep breath now sometimes, the buttons begin to complain. So on the front row, you know, pay attention. You may have to catch a button. Anyway, so the sermon in the sentence is this. The Lord has sent His Son, Jesus, so that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. Um, th that is a restatement of, of John 3.16, which obviously has to be the, 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 the central idea of this text. So let's read this passage, um, because not everybody is familiar with everything that leads up to and, and the words immediately following um, John 3.16. So let's read this. John chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 21. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that, he, that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed." But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Okay, so usually things that happen at night are better left there. But this is one exception. This teaching of Jesus is truly one exception. And Nicodemus himself is an exception. So when we look at him, we can say that he was a good Pharisee. Not good as in good as being a Pharisee, but he was a good person that happened to be a Pharisee. And those who are students of the Gospels know that that was actually kind of rare. Jesus talked about a lot of the problems that the Pharisees had between their hypocrisy and the fact that they didn't actually worship the true God. They had kind of made a version of God through, through their legalistic practices and, and their judgmental ways. They would made their own God to worship. And, and so Nicodemus doesn't seem to be in that bad group of Pharisees, but rather in the good group. It says that he's a ruler, which means that he was probably in the Sanhedrin. Now, we know the Sanhedrin as the court that would eventually, not eventually, in three years' time, would convict Jesus very falsely um, and, and, and have him turned over to the Romans to be executed. So it does not seem that the Sanhedrin was a group of people who, as a body, sought out the truth. But here is Nicodemus seeking out the truth himself. 
Scripture doesn't tell us this, but tradition indicates that Nicodemus was also wealthy. Um, we know that for the most part, wealthy people were not necessarily decent people, but Nicodemus was also very decent. We know that, that he was generous, although he's only mentioned in the Gospel of John. We know that he came to Jesus, sought out these answers, and that he became a follower of Jesus and was there, kind of in the background of Jesus' ministry for the entire time and was even there uh, when Jesus was crucified. So Nicodemus was an exception. He was maybe one in a thousand. But that night he came to visit the one who was one in infinity. Now, people have long wondered, why did this meeting have to happen at night? Was Nicodemus ashamed um, of his interest in Jesus? Was he, as a member of the Sanhedrin, some kind of spy seeking out information about Jesus? Maybe he was sent by the Sanhedrin, but they didn't want the publicity. So they didn't want to, to, to acknowledge Jesus as a teacher until they had first questioned him personally to see what was going on. Who knows, maybe uh, Nicodemus was trying to accommodate Jesus' busy schedule. If you read the Gospels, you find out that it was like one event right after another all day, every day for Jesus. So maybe he was trying to accommodate Jesus' busy schedule. Or maybe Nicodemus wanted to have a conversation with Jesus in which there would be no interruption. Go to him in the dark of night. Have this conversation when others are not coming up to Jesus and asking for miracles or asking for a new teaching or a sign. And Jesus can just answer his questions. Whatever the reason, what we know is that Nicodemus did not know what he would hear from the Lord when he came to Jesus, but he would never be the same after that night. Now at the end of chapter 2, we saw that there were people who were seeing the signs of Jesus there in Jerusalem, and they were believing in the signs, but not necessarily the man. Now it may be that Nicodemus is among this group because he says, we have seen your signs and we know that they are from the Lord or we know that they are from God because of their divine nature. So one thing does seem to be clear about Nicodemus, which would also make him unique, is that he seemed to know that God was going to work outside of that organized religion that he was a part of, um, that God was going to do things that were a little bit different or separate from what the, um, the status quo was from time to time, because here is Jesus. Jesus received the title teacher rabbi, um, and Nicodemus, again, not only was he a wealthy man, he was a Pharisee, and they typically thought of themselves as a cut above the rest. He was in the Sanhedrin, which made him a ruler. Um, eventually, Jesus mentions a title that he has, the teacher of Israel. So Nicodemus was somebody. He, his name mattered, and he comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi. Well, you've always been told that that word means teacher, but it can also mean master, and it always means that you're showing respect. So Nicodemus was showing respect to a country rabbi that had not studied in the typical rabbinical schools. He had not gone through that typical path that you went through to gain mankind's respect. So even though um, Jesus didn't fit into that category, he believed that God was working through him. That's what he believed. And so Nicodemus's statement here, he, he simply says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, this sentence does not end in a question mark, but Jesus knows that he's asking a question. And the thing is, Jesus doesn't waste time with pleasantries. 
Scholars have debated, are we getting the Reader's Digest version of this? Was there more to the conversation, but we're getting the parts that actually matter? Did they, you know, share pleasantries, how's your mom and them, and all that kind of stuff? Or did they really get down to business just like this? Well, it seems that Jesus was ready to get down to business. He doesn't address the things that are, are, are the noise. He addresses the point. And so he doesn't waste time with pleasantries. Rather, he cuts to the heart of Nicodemus's inquiry. So Jesus is going to explain a little bit later what it means to be born again. But for now, we can look at the fact that without this new birth, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. So Nicodemus claimed, we see your signs. We see your works. And then Jesus says, no, you don't. You see what you see, but you don't see with understanding. You don't understand what's actually going on. You know, Nicodemus had just stated that he saw the works of Jesus and knew their origin, but Jesus says you can't see them for what they truly are without this new birth or this rebirth. Those that are not born again cannot understand the work that God is doing in this earth, nor can they see what God is planning. That's the first thing that Jesus is telling Nicodemus is, you think you see, but you don't. Nicodemus knew they were signs. He knew they had meaning. But what Jesus is saying is you don't know the meaning. You didn't see it. You don't really know the meaning yet without the new birth. It's important for us to remember that Nicodemus as a Jew would have believed that he was part of the kingdom of God by his natural birth. As a Jew, as a Pharisee, as a member of the Sanhedrin, all of these things together would have meant that he was already a part of the kingdom of God by his natural birth. So when we evaluate his responses, we do, uh, we do need to remember um, that he can't imagine a world in which he is not already a member of the kingdom of God. So when Jesus says you can't see it until you're reborn, and he's thinking, I am the kingdom of God. I'm part. I'm already in the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus is saying you, you, you can't see it. So that's why Nicodemus is going to get so confused about what Jesus actually means. So the word that Jesus uses for reborn actually can mean two different things. It can mean actual physical birth, or it can mean a more like a renewal. And obviously Jesus has that second idea in mind, but Nicodemus can't get past this concept um, of, of, of being born again. Nicodemus um, is talking about natural birth, and Jesus is talking about a spiritual birth. That's why Nicodemus misses the point so badly, because Jesus just told him something that goes against everything he knew and believed before. And so that's what's difficult for Nicodemus. See, the thing is, no one is a part of the kingdom of heaven by right. It is only through the rebirth that we can become citizens of God's kingdom. Nicodemus didn't know this yet. This was not knowledge that he had. He believed that it was his right by birth to be a part of the kingdom of God. And it wasn't. It wasn't his. It's not ours. It's not anybody's. It's not a right. It comes through faith. So the natural birth of man leads to the natural relationships of man. Now we'll talk about this more in a minute, but the natural relationship between man and God is that we are the sinner and he is the judge. That is the natural relationship because remember, we are now born into sin. We live in sin. Our hearts are wicked. And so when we stand before God, we stand before him. We are the sinner. He is the judge. That's the natural relationship. But what Jesus is talking about is a spiritual relationship, a new, a supernatural relationship. And that comes through this second birth, this rebirth. God is our creator and he's our judge. That's what we know him in the natural sense. 
But he only becomes our Savior after the second birth. So when Jesus says, uh, he goes on to talk about the fact that, that you, know, you have to be born of the water and of the Spirit there in verse 5. People debate what water means, um, but he follows it up by saying born of the flesh and then born of the Spirit. So it seems pretty clear Jesus is saying you got to be born of water, which has to do with the natural birth, and then of the Spirit, which is the spiritual birth. Um, because people have used that water thing to mean that you get saved when you get baptized, and that's not what the Bible teaches anywhere else, so it's probably not what Jesus was saying there. But the natural birth and the spiritual birth, the flesh and the spirit, that is what Jesus is talking about. He says you have those two births. One is natural, and it leads to these natural relationships and these natural understandings, and one is spiritual, which leads to the supernatural and the spiritual understanding of things. So when Jesus talks about this, um, he tells Nicodemus not to marvel at this statement because it's merely an introduction into the kingdom of heaven. So what Jesus is sharing with Nicodemus at this moment is the first step. It is the first thing you've got to know is that, that this life needs to end and the new life needs to start. That's the first thing that Nicodemus needs to know. And at this point, he's marveling. Now, sometimes the word marvel has a positive connotation, but here it doesn't. Here, it, it's almost like dumbfounded, emphasis on the dumb. And, and that's really where, where Nicodemus is at this moment, is he doesn't understand. Because Jesus is saying, you're not part of the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is saying, I was born as part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus says, well, I've already been born, and I don't understand how that works. And so he's, he's missing the point. He's missing what Jesus is saying. And so we have to understand the difference, just like Nicodemus does, between our natural life and our spiritual life. Our natural life is marked by sin, selfishness, and death, whereas our spiritual life is marked by salvation, righteousness, and light. That is the change that God brings into the life of someone when they believe on Jesus. So then Jesus explains to Nicodemus that he cannot fully comprehend the wind, and he will not fully comprehend the Spirit. And so Jesus is trying to kind of help him a little bit. Here's an illustration. The wind blows. Where did it come from? Well, I don't know. Where did it go? I don't know. But I see what it did. And that's what he's saying about the Spirit, is that you don't understand everything about the Spirit. You just know that it's there, and you know that it's working. And that's what he's talking about with this Spirit. He can see uh, what the wind does, and with regenerate eyes, we can see what the Spirit does. So Nicodemus is still struggling to understand Jesus' meaning, and it's at this point we really get to see Jesus' intensity a little bit when he says in verse 10, Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? The people cannot surpass the instructor, and so if he's the instructor, if he's the teacher, and he doesn't understand it, how much trouble are the people of Israel in? They are in deep trouble at this particular point. Now, Nicodemus was nobody's fool, uh, but Jesus' teaching went against the very foundation of his beliefs, and he couldn't understand. Now, we say that faith is difficult, but every day we make so many, or we take so many things on faith while struggling to trust God. There might be one or two people in the room that could explain how a combustion engine works, but most of us probably couldn't, right? We, 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 we crank our car, and we drive, but we don't know all the ins and outs and how all that stuff works. And those of us that might could explain how a combustion engine works, can you explain how the computer in your car works and tells the car all the other things that it does? Do you understand how your phone works? I still haven't figured out how this phone, connected to no wires whatsoever, can call someone on a different continent. Doesn't make any sense to me. 
I don't understand how I can call somebody across the way out of, outside of shouting distance. I don't understand it. I do it every day. I don't call people out of the country every day, but, but I use the phone and I, I don't understand all of it. But I'm not waiting until I understand every piece of that technology before I use it. I use it and I'm blessed by it. You know, there's a lot of things that, 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 are, that are more complex than, than, than we can really grasp just as, as kind of laymen. But we still use those things, and we're still blessed by those things. It still benefits us, right? And so when we take all of that faith that we place in all of these everyday items, and then we say it's hard to believe in God. Well, no, you don't fully understand everything that God is doing, but we know God. We know that He is good. And so our faith in Him can start that simple, we know that we like to talk to somebody, and this is a way to do it. We call on the phone. We know that we like to go places, and so this is the way we do it. We get in the car and we go. So we may not understand all the forces at the school. Um, I always stand outside for a few minutes as the kids leave, and, you know, we're really close to one of the uh, military bases, and it's, it's, all, it's not every day, but often they have one of those really huge um, cargo airplanes that come. It comes low, and it's going in to land, or they have the helicopters, and I'm still a little kid when that stuff happens because those things are huge. And it does not make sense to me that it can fly. I don't understand. I, I, I understand some of the science behind it, but then the practicality of how many tons this piece of equipment is and it's flying through the air, that just baffles me. You know, but, but we get on planes and we go places, even though we don't understand the science. And, and that's a lot of faith. That's a lot of trust. You know, pushing buttons on a phone and then your neighbor or your friend or your family member starts talking, well, it's great that it worked. But getting in a plane and flying away, that's a whole different conversation and we have that kind of faith. We may not understand everything about the Lord, but as we begin to enter into a faith-based relationship with Him, that's when things change. That's when we begin to see, that's when we begin to understand. Now, here's the problem. From an academic standpoint, the Jews knew that they were the kingdom of God. And here was Jesus saying that it's only those who can be born again who are... I missed one, didn't I? Yeah. Um, it's only in matters of faith that we let the little we know keep us from the blessings of trust. Okay, so now, here's the thing. Nicodemus knew academically... You know how people know things academically, um, and it changes every day, but he knew academically that he was part of the kingdom. But here's Jesus saying, it's only those that are born again that can be a part of the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus tells Nicodemus, I am giving you eyewitness testimony. I'm the only one that's ever been there. I know what God says. I know the truth. I'm telling it to you, but you're too smart to listen to an eyewitness. That's the issue there. And, and haven't we seen that before? We've seen people that know things from a book or they know things from a class and you've got somebody with experience that's telling them one thing and they can't believe it because they heard it, they read it in a book or heard it in a class or they've been taught this or explained this to them some other time. We've seen people that are too smart to learn. Nicodemus was that. He wasn't a fool. He was too smart. He was missing it because Jesus was telling him, no, 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 what you've been taught is wrong. What you've been taught is where you were misled. You aren't part of the kingdom, but you can be. And so finally, Jesus turns and he uses an example that actually helps him. So no teacher, no matter how well respected they are, has ever been to heaven and lived to talk about it. So Jesus is the only true source. 
Somebody's telling you about heaven and they haven't been there, go look and see what Jesus said. He's the better source. I guarantee you on that. So then Jesus uses an example from the Old Testament. We're finally getting in Nicodemus' wheelhouse. He may not have understood the wind, but he was a teacher. He knew the Old Testament. And so when Jesus mentions Moses lifting up the serpent, Nicodemus could have probably quoted him that entire story. The whole story of the serpents and the snake bites, the sin that led to it, and, and then the desperation of the people. And then as they looked up towards the serpent and all of a sudden they were healed, Nicodemus could have explained that whole thing. And so when Jesus relates it to something Nicodemus knew, it began to change things. So this new birth is a matter of faith, much like that serpent that was lifted up in the wilderness. Looking at that serpent isn't what healed people. Faith, believing that God would heal them if they were obedient, that's what healed them. And so here is finally some light going off for Nicodemus, some dawning. He began to understand that just like that serpent, people looking at Jesus as he is lifted up, that is what saves them. So maybe Jesus saw a little light going off in the, in the, in the outer reaches of Nicodemus' brain at that point. He began to understand what Jesus meant. People who had the faith to look upon the serpent were healed. Jesus is saying that the people who have the life or who have the faith to look upon him in whose crucifixion will have the new birth and eternal life. Some people say when, when Jesus talks about the Son of Man lifted up, he's talking about the ascension into heaven. But that's not what John has ever said in that, and that's not really what Jesus is talking about there. He's talking about the crucifixion, the suffering, the actual point where Jesus pays the price. You look to that point where Jesus is paying, and that's when it matters, and that's when it changes for us. So the unverbalized question at the beginning of this passage, what Nicodemus asked, even though he didn't frame, his, frame it as a question, what is the meaning of your signs? Jesus' answer is that when we believe, not only will we understand what he is doing, but we will have eternal life as well. So Jesus was working these signs so that people could believe. They could know God, they could be part of the kingdom of heaven, and they could have eternal life. And so that's where the conversation turns to eternal life. Verse 15, he says, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So now let's see this, this answer that Jesus gives to this unasked question. So Nicodemus does say, how can these things be? Nicodemus might finally be understanding. Jesus gives the most pointed gospel sentence that we ever find in Scripture. I'm going to read it again, and then I'll start kind of going through it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The gospel is God's work from beginning to the end, and it is because of his unconditional love for us. If you're ever listening to someone teach about the Bible teach about the gospel, and they indicate that we have a part, a work in our salvation, they are wrong. It's a false gospel. If you're ever listening to someone teach about the gospel, and they say that God had to do this, or was forced to do this, or whatever, they're wrong. It was because of His unconditional love. It's not for God loved us this much, so much He loved us, it's unconditional love. God loves us regardless of what we've done. The sin, the hiding the sin, the living in sin, all the things that we've done in our lives, 
God loves us regardless of that. That's what that unconditional love is. And so that is God's work from beginning to end. It's because of his unconditional love. The gospel is the unique Son of God freely given for the salvation of man. Now, aren't we all sons and daughters of God? Yes. But Jesus is the Son of God in a way that we are not. That's what that means. One and only, the unique, the special, the only begotten. Jesus is the Son of God in a way that we are not. And that Son of God, freely given, that's the Gospel. The fact that we didn't ask for it because we didn't know it could be done. The fact that we didn't deserve it makes it grace. God gave it freely out of His love. That's the Gospel. When people add to, when people pile on or take away, when people make it something that you've got to do, they're wrong. The Gospel is about God. It is about Him. It's about His glory. It's about His Son. It's about Him giving forgiveness. It's not about us. There is no work for mankind to do associated with the Gospel. We simply must believe. We must believe. We can't be righteous enough we can't do enough good works. We have to believe. The lost state of man is that we are utterly condemned to everlasting torment in hell. But God offers eternal life with Him through Jesus. So when He says perish, that is an eternal torment in hell. That's what that means. That, that doesn't just mean annihilation, destroyed, gone, cease to exist. That means eternal torment. That's the natural state of man. You want to talk about you know, what Nicodemus was born to? He thought he was born to the kingdom of God. No, he was born to everlasting torment in hell. That's what he was born to. That's what you and I were born to. That is our original state. But the gospel is for anyone who believes, regardless of their race or social status. Now, if Jesus had told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you're good, but the Gentiles, they're going to have to be reborn. Nicodemus would have said, oh, okay, I got you. I understand I understand. But because he was telling even Nicodemus, even a, even a child of Abraham, that he had to be reborn, that was a difficult thing. That was a hard thing. But I want you to hear. There's so many important words. I can't say one word is more important than the other, but I want you to hear whosoever. Because God has made that invitation to all. To all. Rich, poor, no racial distinction, no other form of distinction. You can be the king of a mighty kingdom and you still have to get on your knees before Jesus Christ. You can be the least and lowliest of all people and you still have to submit to Jesus Christ. There is no distinction. Whosoever. Whoever. You know, it's said that if the rest of the Bible were lost and only John 3.16 remained, we would still have enough to be saved. And I think that's true. This verse is known as everyone's verse, or even the little gospel. We can't expand upon the grandest gospel statement in Scripture. To read it alone is enough to really explain it. So we're going to look at what Jesus says afterwards. Jesus goes on to say that He was not sent to judge the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. We know that Jesus is judge. But his mission, when he came to the earth the first time, was to, 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 to make salvation, not to judge. Jesus makes it clear that faith in him is the dividing line between salvation and condemnation. 
Those that were fortunate enough to be born as Jews, they still have to be saved. Those of us that were born as Gentiles, we still have to be saved. The people of faith will not be condemned, but the people who refuse to believe are condemned already. This is our natural state. That's what God is saying. So when people say, well, I wouldn't believe you know, in a God that would judge us and send us to hell, we have judged ourselves. That's what he's saying. There is righteousness and holiness. There is a standard. We have not lived up to that. So we have, you want to know what we've earned? We have earned our judgment. We are freely given our salvation. That is the difference. If people were working for good, they would flock to Jesus because he is the light. If, if people were working to, 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 to bring about good things, then they would go to Jesus. But people want to stay in the darkness. And here's the reason. Mankind in general does not like the light and truth shown upon his work because in his heart, he knows that it is evil. We have seen examples, different situations where the things that, that everybody thought was a good thing, a good effort, turned out to be something bad and awful. Whether it be the falling of a Christian leader, whether it be something that's revealed to be a cult, or whether it be some other horrible failing, we've seen things that were supposed to be good turn bad. When light is shown upon things, their true nature is revealed. And so most mankind, why don't people get saved? Most mankind don't want that light in their lives. We are cruel, greedy, ambitious, self-centered, and more so, uh, and, and more. So the light threatens our whole way of life. That's what's in us. You know, people say, well, follow your heart, those kinds of things. Remember, the heart is deceitful above all things. We don't follow our heart to, to salvation. We follow our heart to condemnation. Um, that's what's in us. Those who love to work wickedness will not come into the light because they would have to confess the evil of their ways. You see, that's the irritating thing about truth. It's just there. Truth is just there. When you walk into the light, the truth is there. And so what we, we pretended was good, what we presented as good but was really bad, it's all revealed. All things are revealed. And so that's what Jesus is saying is, is that the light came into this world, but people didn't want to be in the light because they preferred the darkness because that's where their sin could continue to live. Only the workers of good and those willing to turn away from evil will come into the light and love of Jesus Christ. So, there is none that does good. No, not one. We hear that in Romans. But those that want to do good and those that are willing to repent of their sins, those are the ones that will come to Jesus. The light of Jesus shines in our lives and exposes the works of darkness for the lies that they are. You don't come to Jesus proud. We are all humbled because all of us have things in our lives that, that aren't something to be proud of. Things that lived well in the darkness but will not last in the light. We, the people of faith, are the children of light and the heirs of eternal life. That's what Jesus says is that when we live in this light, we are the children of God, we are the kingdom of God, and we are the heirs to eternal life. So to wrap this up, Simply put, the gospel is faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Who he is, what he did. Believe in him, you are saved. Once we have, our, once we have placed our faith in him, we can see what is of his kingdom and what is of the other kingdom. 
That doesn't mean that we'll never be deceived, but most of the time we're going to see the difference between what God is doing and what the world is doing. And also in this time, we will know that the kingdom of heaven is for salvation of souls and the kingdom of darkness seeks only to destroy. What the world is doing ultimately drags everybody down. What God is doing is lifting people up to salvation. And yes, it is still a small number. It will always be a small number. So, we know what God's work in this world is. Jesus was sent for salvation. We know what His work is. So if we are a part of His kingdom, we must also be a part of that work. Now, does that mean that we have to be, you know, the, 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 ne the next coming of Billy Graham getting in front of thousands and thousands of people? No, that's not what that means. But on a one-on-one -on -one basis, we're going to find people just as confused as Nicodemus people that think that they are inherently good. There are a lot of people out there that believe people are basically good. They just do bad things. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible teaches that we are lost, that we are sinners, that we are already condemned from birth, and that the only thing that can change that is faith in Jesus Christ. Now, one-on-one, -on -one, as we meet people, We've got to try our best to help them see the light of Jesus Christ. Many people will recoil from that light. They don't want that light in their lives. But there will be some that will listen, some that will believe. And for those that believe, it is our work to tell them the gospel, to tell them about Jesus, and maybe, maybe they will be saved. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this marvelous word that your son Jesus sent. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For us, Lord, we, hopefully all of us, have already believed. will not perish, but we will have eternal life. If there is one in this room that does not know Jesus as their Savior, Lord, I pray that today is the day that they know, that they believe, that they trust, that they walk into that light. But for the rest of us, Lord, I pray that you remind us that your work is our work. Your kingdom is our kingdom. Your goals, your design, your mission is our mission. Make us busy doing your work. For if there is any work and anything that can stand in the light, it is the work of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs it. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel. And I pray that we are faithful stewards of it. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.